1: Welcome to Tom Green's Van Life. Uh, Super excited about today's podcast. MC Search from the legendary and iconic hip-hop duo, rap group, third base. We're giving COVID the gas face. Uh, MC Search. And uh, I grew up just idolizing. Uh, third base and MC search and proud to uh, be able to call him my friend. Uh, We connected in the last couple of years on social media and started chatting and now we're, we're good buddies and always uh, love talking to search. I've been on his podcast a few times, search says, uh, which uh, is uh, live every Saturday and he's had incredible guests like method man and Chris rock and all sorts of incredible people. Um, So go check him out and This is going to be great. I'm in the van. I'm cruising around in the van. I just had a little break at home uh, with Charlie, my dog, and I, and uh, did some work on the studio. I've got some things on the studio that I can do now for the music side of things that are a little bit better in the van here now. And I've been traveling today. I just found a nice... uh, area to camp. I'm excited about it. And uh, I'm going to be going out and doing some filming in the desert again. Um, just so you know what I'm doing. I'm waiting uh, down here in the southern hemisphere until I get the vaccine. Uh, I'm excited about getting the vaccine. Okay. That's my that's my thing. I'm excited about it. Uh, I can't wait to get it. And uh, then I'm going to Drive north and head up to Canada uh, in, a, in a couple of months, and uh, probably spend some time in the summer traveling around Canada in the van and showing you my home and native land. But I hope you've been enjoying this Van Life podcast. Please subscribe. Subscribe. It's free to subscribe. Just click subscribe and tell your friends uh, to subscribe to this podcast. And uh, again, today MC Search is calling in. He's not in a van. Uh, he's not camping right now. Uh, He's not touring around in a van and it's not exactly uh, a van life episode specifically. We're going to talk about hip-hop today, but I'm in a van and uh, I enjoy uh, talking to people from all uh, areas of show business and uh, survivalists and all sorts of people I have coming up on the show soon, but I think you're really going to enjoy this and go listen to uh, MC Search and Third Base and everything that he's doing and all of his past music from uh, the the legendary group third base and enjoy that here's mc search how are you mr green i'm doing very good i'm doing very good thanks for calling man uh what's uh, what's happening i'm i'm in new mexico uh you know as you know because i called uh i called your podcast from my van uh yesterday i guess and uh and uh, that was awesome was the day before yesterday that was awesome i had a great time on your podcast i was playing my guitar
2: yeah no it was, it was uh it was a great show And uh, thank you for being the man in the van down by the river uh, in honor of my man, Chris Farley. So good looking on that. That was, it was great, man. Um, I really envy your trip. Uh, It's something that I've wanted to do personally. And um, even before COVID I was always telling my bride, you know, look, you know, that's how I want my life to be. You know, when I get the opportunity to spike the ball I just want to get a really, really cool, slick RV and just travel the country. And um, she was like, yeah, nah, I'm not that chick. <laughs> like, I'm a girl from Queens, and uh, nah, <laughs> I'm not that chick. Um, but she saw your van, and then she was like, ooh, this is nice. Yeah, yeah. And my, and my wife has a history, a tendency of saying no to things until she sees them. And then she's like, oh, wait a minute, I can do this. but I think in this case, the the RV life, even though she might have liked yours, is just not hersty at all.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, it's definitely, I mean, I'm definitely camping. It's not like a luxurious existence out here. It's cold at night. Um, It's, uh, you know, you're often... Not really able to shower effectively. I mean, I have a shower, but when it gets real cold, that's not too pleasant because the shower's outdoors on the back of the van and all that. So so I'm, uh, I'm going to be driving south and uh, getting down maybe into uh, southern Arizona or Texas and uh, trying to warm up a little bit. It's getting cold up here in New Mexico. But listen, I, I, pr- I appreciate you uh, you watching all my videos on the road, too. We've been talking a lot since I got uh into this you know we were we were chatting before i even got the van i said you know you know search i think i'm getting a van and i'm gonna go out and i'm gonna shoot videos from my youtube channel and do my podcast in the van i got my studio in the van i'm making beats in the van it's pretty dope it's it's a lot of fun
2: actually the the plan was if i remember because I as i told you my father is in montana and i had said to you if you're planning to go to visit your parents Canada, and you were going to shoot through Montana, I was actually going to meet you in Montana and make a record with you in Montana while I visited my father.
1: Man, And you were
2: like, yeah, nah, I'm not getting anywhere (laughs) near human beings because of COVID. (laughs) Um, Well... uh, basically shut that down real quick, but then also the fires happened, and I don't think you actually wind up going north
1: yeah i didn't get up going north well i i don't know if it, i i didn't realize you really wanted to make a record i mean if you wanted to make a record i'd probably get near some people with covid just to make a record with you man I, I i would take that risk but we'll do it we're gonna let's do it when the when this covid thing ends in a few months man it's gonna be a lot more fun you know rving and vanning around because uh you know, I look at it like it'll be nice to be able to go out to the campsite, get out into nature, but then stop at a nice steakhouse, right? That'll be good, too, you know? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I would not be mad at that. Like,
2: I have no problem roughing it as long as at the end of the roughing it, yeah. there's a five-star something.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. You, you just... know,
2: roughing it and then go to the Bull and Bear or go to the Ritz-Carlton to the spa. Exactly. Like, unruff it. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Like, there has to be a balance. I think it's like uh, we're interviewing uh, we're interviewing Edgar and James, you know, the the, the soon to be Hall of Fame running back. Yeah. And uh, he has a perfect balance. You know, he has a perfect balance of, you know, he bought this beautiful property in central Florida where he's committed his time and his energy to training young men to go to D1 uh, football and then owns a strip club. So there's the balance. Yeah. You know, there's there's a nice balance. That's it. Yeah, and then you get.
1: Yeah, it seems like a great balance. Absolutely. So, are you are you inter- <laughs> you're interviewing uh, athletes? You're interviewing interviewing a lot of uh, legendary rappers, and uh, is is it is it mostly a hip hop podcast you're doing, or is it is it is it everything?
2: I, I like to think of it as a interview based podcast around people who have a connection to hip hop. Right. I know that's a long sentence to a short question, but I don't necessarily think of it as a hip hop podcast, right? Like I don't think you would normally think of Roger Clemens in association to hip hop. However, he's a hip hop fan. You know, I don't think you would associate a John Cryer, the actor to hip hop, but he's a hip hop fan. So I tend, and even with you when you were on the show, people were like, oh, fuck, What? wait, what? Tom Green fucking loves hip-hop? It's crazy. You know, so I think what I like to do is find that connection that, you know, that connective DNA between pop culture, between community, and if there is a connective source with hip-hop, what that connective source is, you know, for example, you know, talking to... Roger Clemens and how much he liked the song Gas Face because, you know, he liked the term when Scott Van Pelt would say it on SportsCenter, how he gave people the gas face when he struck people out with a (laughs) strike out of a hundred miles an hour and faster. Yeah, You know, so like that, you know, um, or John Cryer being turned on to Public Enemy and third base and Rick through his sister, even though he went to Bronx School of Science, and was right up the block, literally from the birthplace of hip hop. So I, I do really love to find that connective, you know, tissue. You know, interviewing Giancarlo Esposito about, you know, do the right thing, and you know, and and just what the music meant to him. But more importantly, you know, how he connects as an actor through the culture.
1: Yeah, I mean that must have been a what year was that that they they gave the gas face that they did the gas face on sports center that must have been a huge hip-hop crossover moment where it crossed over into the mainstream right yeah it was i think the first one was 1996 nice uh i think that's the
2: first time that scott van pelt used it in terminology for a fastball but then it kind of became like other things so Chris Webber, the you know legendary uh, center for Sacramento, Michigan, Wolverine, Fab Five. Um, anytime somebody gets dunked on and makes like an ugly face, he goes up, oh, blah, 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 gave him the gas face. So uh, there was an ugly dunk, Denver, not this past playoffs, but last playoffs. This kid, um, Mustafa, um, dunked on this dude. And, uh, I mean, dunked on him heavy and and walked back with his face all scrunched up. (laughs) And he was like, yeah, he gave him the gas face on that dunk.
0: Right,
1: right, right.
2: um, Reggie Miller says it all the time when somebody drains a three and he was like, you know, gas face given on that tray. Um, So it's really kind of found its way into sports vernacular, but that's really because of. Scott Van Pelt, so I got to give him his flowers.
1: I remember how exciting that was when when you guys came out, third base came out for me personally because I was doing you know rap music up in Canada in my parents' basement with my buddy. We were making music and uh, we were like, "Oh wow, check this out!" You know, the, you know, two uh, white MCs, you know, in a group, and there's two of them, and they're they're you know, is, is there is there not as there's not really g- groups anymore, right? Is there? Is there still rap groups where there's multiple MCs in the group, or has that sort of gone away?
2: Well, I think there are. I think there's some really, really talented groups. You have the Migos. Right, um, right, of course. Three yeah. of them, you yeah. know, in that group. Yeah. Um, so, run yeah, I mean, run the Jewels, Run the
0: Jewels.
1: Yeah, Run the Jewels, I guess. Run the Jewels yeah, is yeah. another, like, one of my favorite
2: groups, actually. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they're definitely, they're definitely out there, but... You know, it, it, it's really funny. I, I did a, uh, a show, there's a really funny show called Turn the Tables. Uh, Pretty Lou, who's a really well-known DJ in New York on Hot 97, has a show where he puts on young DJs and he puts, you know, celebrities on and tells them to put together DJ sets for these DJs to do. And then they have a trivia question, which they have to answer. And if they don't answer it, whatever the answer is, they have to do a set around that answer so you know i'm coming up with dj sets for the show and i said you know one of the dj sets i wanted the djs to do is a 10 minute set on posse cut right on, on what sir? which i figured is posse, posse oh, cut. yeah yeah
1: yeah
2: which you know what that is right a posse cut
1: i, I don't think i do actually no no, no. see this is what's to me. But right? can- this is the most obvious. So po- Posse I, I'm, cuts. I'm Canadian, it, so. It's like I'll give you I'll give <laughs> I, I understand.
2: I'm, I'm so sorry to hear that. <laughs> but it's it's and but just so you know, it's me it's not you. So Posse cuts are like scenario. Yeah, oh or sure. Or oh, okay. barbecue yeah. or back to the grill again.
1: Uh-huh, uh-huh. Or okay. you
2: know, songs that have other artists from other groups.
1: Right. Okay. Yeah, I just hadn't heard that term before, so but if you know, I again. I
2: just said that. Other artists from you know do a DJ set of songs with other artists from other groups. This DJ would not have been thrown. Yeah. Everyone and their mother. When I said posse cuts, they were like, "What the fuck is he talking about? He's a thousand years old." Right, right, right. Well, like I, I've never heard that term in their life. So like, who I, who would, I either
1: yeah who would be your number one posse cut right now if you were to put together your version of scenario? Who would you so want right in that
2: now? My yeah. That, so right, well, first of all, the greatest posse cut of all time is "Live at the Barbecue" from Large Professor's group, The Main Source, in 1991. Yeah, where you heard, you know had Large Professor, a young artist named Nasty Nas,
1: Pacanelli uh-huh, uh-huh. and
2: Fatal. Yeah, um, scenario, another great one with a tribe called Quest and leaders of the New School. Uh-huh. Um, back to the grill again wasn't a terrible one with Chub Rock, yeah. Nas, Red Hot Lover Tone, and myself. Um, but I think right now there's actually a great, um, so Sweetie has a a record that I love called tap in. Okay. And the new, their, their remix has Jack Harlow, the baby, Sweetie and Post Malone. Like to me that, that posse, that posse cut, that, that collaboration track, that track with (laughs) featuring multiple artists, whatever you want to (laughs) fucking call it. Yeah. That track is my favorite track of the moment. I love that term tap in i love sweetie i think she's amazing i love jack harlow i love posty and da baby is just one of my favorite new artists i just think he's amazing um it's probably my favorite collab track of the moment
1: right now now just to take it back to people that listen to my podcast who maybe don't know the full history of hip-hop or maybe don't even listen to rap music you know what was that like back in the day when you just realized, hey, I can do this. You know, I wanna, uh, you know, I wanna go start rapping and go out and, and, and mix it up with with you know other MCs in New York.
2: Well, there was no rap business. There was no such thing as rap music. There was just rapping, right? Mm-hmm. There was no recorded music when I was coming up. Right, You know, the first recorded music and the first recorded songs was, you know, Lord Tim. And um, then there was this, you know, this song, which, you know, although people love, which was Rapper's Delight um, by the Sugarhill Gang. That record was kind of like a corny record to guys like us in New York. Yeah. Like we didn't really, you know, that record was kind of like the Vanilla Ice right size baby of hip-hop for right. us right, right. but right. it broke down barriers so it, you know gave the opportunity for real records to come out after that
1: right because rapper's um, delight was probably the first time i ever heard rap was when i was you know 12 years old or something i heard heard them sugar hill gang they're rapping over was that a chic bass line and and and, right. and you're listening to that and going wow this is different they're they're not singing they're just seeing all these funny things, and it's rhyming, and it's fast, and it's exciting. But, you know, I was living in Ottawa. I, 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 we weren't sort of, we didn't really hear the, you know, the true underground hip-hop or rap music until, you know, maybe years later when it kind of went more mainstream. I mean, the next time I really heard a lot of rap music was, you know, Run DMC, you
2: know. Um, so let me, ask you, let me ask you a question. Yeah. And this is a personal question. So, you're familiar with the song Lottie Dottie? Yeah, Slick, Slick Rick. And yeah. yeah, yeah. So, which is a better lyrical record, Sugar Hill Gang's Rapper Delight or Lottie Dottie
1: for you? Well, I mean, I, 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 I you know, I, honestly, I've only really listened to the one Sugar Hill Gang song a lot, Rapper's Delight. But, you know, I've got to put it in the context of I was 12 years old, I was listening to it. Uh, hearing something for the first time. By the time I heard Slick Rick, I'd kind of been into a lot of a lot of uh, listening to a lot of rap music. So I, I kind of put them in sort of different categories, I guess. I, I, I mean, yeah, you know, I, I, I would say I, obviously the, the 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 answer should be Slick Rick. I'm I'm assuming, right?
2: <laughs> no, no, no. But no, you 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 hit the no, you hit the point succinctly to the point I was trying to make. So you heard Lottie Dottie when it came out in 1985. So your experience between 1980 and 1985, there was a plethora of hip hop. Yeah. It was Houdini. There was, right.
1: So you, in weren't d- you were... In
2: 1980, I heard Lottie Dottie in 1980. Yeah. Because yeah. that was a Kango Crew party right. jam that they did at block parties. Right. So I'm listening to Lottie Dottie in 1980, the same time that Rapper's Delight is out.
1: I will say, like, so, for, for me, like, when I hear, heard it, you know, because I'm, of course, you know, coming from it from a completely different place, but to me, it was uh, my recollection of it, and I'm just, I'm not speaking from any real place of really, you know, I haven't really thought about this before, but putting me on the spot a little bit here, search, but I, uh, <laughs> I feel like that was the first time I heard an MC kind of singing, you know, kind of singing, rapping, you know, like, kind of making right. it, he wasn't as aggressive. He was kind of adding some sort of, some, some smoothness to it, right? And that was really kind of what right. stood out.
2: Right. And it was very melodic. la di da We like to party And we comedy. Don't trouble.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> right. We yeah. don't bother nobody. Buddy, just, just the men, men that's on the, the mic.
1: mic. mic. When we rock the, the men, mic, we rock the mic. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. When
2: he says we're just some men, M E N, right? But he's the only one rhyming. Uh uh
0: Because it
2: was a posse, because it was a group song. Yeah. The Kango Crew consisted of four other guys. Yeah. So when he did that originally, there were four other guys. There was Lance Romance, Dana Dane, Omega, and Ricky D. Right? Yeah, Yeah. So then that became his song. So in 1980, when Rapper's Delight comes out as vinyl, I'm listening to that. I'm listening to. The Treacherous Three. I'm listening to Crash Crew. I'm listening to Kaz. Like, there's ten times, a hundred times better records in the street that never got pressed. Yeah. That are way better.
0: Yeah. Than the yeah. Hill Gang. Yeah. Yeah.
2: You know, just like there was a thousand times better graffiti in the street than any gallery I ever went to.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There was
2: a thousand times better breakdancers breakin than any ballet that I ever saw.
1: Is there a you know. is, there, is, is it is it fair to say that that in in many ways a lot of early MCs kind of didn't really get their fair due in the sense that you know the, the, it overturned fast new people came along built on what they did and then they didn't actually get to enjoy the you know the, the fruits of of having invented this kind of music.
2: Oh, absolutely. And, I mean, that goes back to Coco LaRock, who's the first, uh, first MC in the culture. It goes to Grand Wizard Theodore. It even goes in a lot of ways to Cool Herc himself. Uh, I don't think pioneers ever reap the benefit of what they do. I think certainly, and again, not to blow smoke up your ass uh, or, or put marshmallows on your hat, um, <laughs> I think what you did... Um, was leaps and bounds uh, beyond what even, you know, an Eric Andre or a lot of these other shows on Vice are doing now. You were certainly a pioneer. I mean, you know, what you did in terms of an ECV knocking off stuff in a garage, in a grocery store. I mean, Borat did that 10 years later and all of a sudden he's a genius because he's on roller, you know, roller skates in an antique store in Alabama. Like, you know, so I don't think pioneers ever get their flowers. Yeah. Or they're just due. However, culturally the significance of what they do propels things forward. So if you did not do what you did, there wouldn't be an Eric Andre. There would not be those fuck that's delicious shows. Yeah. There wouldn't be any of those programming because
1: there needed to be proof of product. Yeah. You I, were that proof. I mean, I feel, four are, I feel this for I feel I feel fortunate cuz you know, I did, I did do pretty well, you know. It's not like, uh, I mean, when the show came out, I got to do some films. I'm I've, I've still doing, you know, stand-up. I'm doing lots of stuff, and I actually have done all right. You know, I don't, I'm not bitter about, you know, the fact that other people have done similar things to me. But what I'm kind of more getting at is, like, there are people that actually invented a genre, that may not actually have re- achieved any monetary success from it. I- I've sometimes thought, of, do you ever think it's a, an idea to, like maybe with the amount of money that comes into the rap music game, that there could be some sort of a fund put together by all Absolutely. the top MCs, everybody pays into it, a, a small, you know, comparative to what they're the billion multi-billion dollar industry, maybe throw a few million bucks in there and then let it accrue some interest and, and, and pay out uh, you know, some residuals to the people that invented, invented the music that maybe, that maybe aren't, aren't doing so well right now.
2: So one of the things that's happening right now, and a guy named Rocky Bucano in the Bronx is doing that, is he's building the Universal Hip Hop Museum, which yeah. is a funded program in the Bronx that is a not only a museum and, and kind of carries the archives of the culture, but there are apartments that have been for life allocated to the founders of the culture. Yeah. So they never have to worry about their rent ever.
1: That's amazing. Cool, her
2: Theodore, you know, Cocola Rock, you know. Th- so, again, it's a small step. Um you know, um you know, Jay-Z made a, had a line in a record. He said, "I'm charging motherfuckers for what they did to the cold crush." And I interviewed Kaz uh, for this podcast that we're doing on Big Daddy Kane, and he jokingly does, he doesn't say it in the podcast with Kane, but he said it off the air. He said, "You know, all Jay-Z would have had to do is just give us, you know 3.003 percent on that record." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my man, you know, several one of my friends would have been able to pay their hospital bills and probably not die. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, it would be I I couldn't agree with you more that, you know, there are an elite few, the top three percent of the guys in this business who are, you know, the Dr. Dre's, the Jay-Z's, the Nas's, the Swiss Beats, you know, these guys who are 100 millionaires could easily form that. But Rocky Bucano took it upon himself and the state of New York to build the Hip Hop Universal Museum, this great, amazing place in the birthplace of hip hop, to archive it
1: and give hip hop its opportunity to support those in need. That's amazing. Yeah, it's interesting. I remember, like, when I was a kid, I mean, the word hip-hop wasn't even something I'd heard before. And now it's, you know, up equivalent to hearing, like, you've got the blues, you've got jazz, you've got rock and roll, you've got hip-hop. It's, a, it's amazing that in our lifetime, an entire genre of music was invented that is, you know, tantamount to jazz or, or, or any other legitimate real genre, right? Isn't that amazing that we witnessed that? It, no, it's it's incredible that,
2: you know, it, it. I mean, look, I, you know, when you think about, like, take rhythm and blues, and you take soul music, and you take Robert Johnson, and you take Ma, Ma Bell, and you take all of these people from the Delta blues and Louisiana, and you know, there was a there was an ethos of music that started from somewhere, right, and then it became a something, right? It became a culture. It became a musical genre that these DJs these Caribbean DJs who took records and boomboxes and and speaker systems and amps and plugged them into light poles and started a entire culture of art dance which is now going to be breaking is officially going to be an olympic sport in uh, yeah. 2024 in the olympics yeah djing which is its own not only culture but genre of music. Um obviously rapping, we know where that is. Graffiti, some of the biggest pieces in the world that have been sold. Bank fee, Futura, Centu, Cope. I mean, they are selling pieces in France for millions of dollars. Yeah. I mean, you know, we have created a genre of music and um the appreciation of the genre Um, just continues to grow and you know as of today rap music is the largest genre of listen to music in the
1: world so when you were starting out how old were you when you started rapping you're a teenager right uh 12 12 was 12 years old not even a teenager and then and then and then even going a little further once once things blew up and third base had you know hit records and it was still early days, really, in, in in rap music. I mean, it wasn't, you know, when third base blew up, it wasn't the very first wave, but it was, compared to now, it was early days, right? Did you think at that time, like, did you, did you anticipate or predict that rap music would come this far, as uh, Biggie Smalls said? Yeah, I did. I just didn't think there would
2: be room... Or forty-year-old rappers, yeah, forty-five-year-old rappers. Uh-huh. I, my personal plan always was, I would run till I'm twenty-five and then become an executive.
1: Uh-huh. Maybe 28 uh-huh.
2: Twenty-eight was over the hill. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Twenty-eight—that's crazy. You know, I, I need to have a record label. I need to be an executive. You know, and uh, and I had Searchlight, you know, music when Nas' N.O.C. came out, and I was twenty-four. At twenty five I was already thinking about hanging up the microphone. And um, you know, and then I formed a, a group called nonfiction, Phil Bill, and, and signed to Geffen and I was twenty-six. And you know, then I started working with Mark Echo and getting into you know Echo Unlimited and doing promotion and marketing. So for me I was already starting to transition out. Um, but I had this drive about me where I was like what am I gonna do? Like I love rhyming, but nobody wants to see like an old twenty-eight year old guy on stage.
1: You know, an old um, old twenty-eight year old guy. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, an old twenty-eight year old guy. But, you know, that this is you know a young boy game. Yeah. Um, for the twenty-year-olds, you know, twenty-one-year-olds. Um, you know, fast forward, you got to run the jewels on stage. You got, you know, obviously Jay. You've got Nas. You've got you know Ice Cube. You've got even these tours that go out now with Too Short and House of Pain and you know Ice Cube and Snoop you know and these shows are selling out arenas yeah you know the art of rap tour the how the west was one tour the best of the east tour you know these tours are selling 20 30,000 seat arenas with you know 35 45 year olds bringing their kids saying now this is the real shit right. this is the real hip-hop all that other shit you're listening to is trash
1: yeah this i mean the real shit if the rolling stones can play music and tour their whole life why can't uh, snoop dogg right i mean it's the same thing exactly right right yeah i guess yeah. it's just because yeah, the audience right. has grown up too right so back then it sort of seemed like oh there's no way it would make sense if uh if people were rapping when they were in their 50s and 60s, because who would be listening? But now the audience has grown up. The audience is, people are in their 50s and 60s who loved hip-hop since they were a kid, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah, and 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 that's exactly right. But not only that, you know, there was a report that said that, you know, 98% of people, once they turn 30, 31, 32, they stop looking for new music. Yeah. Less than 2% of the population, once they go over 30, Start looking for new music so whatever you're listening to between 18 and 30 we well, are taking that with you into your 30 35 40 50. so you know for the 30 year olds that I grew up with you know they kind of stopped at Wu-Tang, ODB, Nas, Missy Elliott, Aaliyah, TLC you know Method Man, Red you know Biggie you know you know that was their j Ru you know that was their music right mm-hmm. so you know And then you fast forward to the 90s and the early 2000s, you have 30-year-olds that stopped at the Hot Boys, Juvenile, Little Wayne, you know, 50 Cent, Eminem, you know, and then you fast forward again, you know, and now you got Drake, you got, you know, J. Cole, you got Kendrick, you know. So when these, you know, 30-year-olds, because there's a lot more of them, there's a lot more 30-year-olds than there were 30-year-olds in 1985 population has increased right so because you have more 30 year olds well now you have a larger audience that's going to pack more stadiums and, and more shows
1: so that continues to grow what was it like being one of the first white rap groups white rappers i mean you, did you ever have any pushback from from you know the hip-hop community or people saying hey you shouldn't be doing this or this or was it always all love all all you know respect
2: well, it wasn't even pushback. I wasn't telling anybody. I was afraid because I didn't think I belonged, and I wasn't, I wasn't even going to take the chance to take a chance that I belonged. Yeah. You know, like, I, you know, like it was black music, and I wrote rhymes in my house, uh, and it wasn't until I saw my man, you know, Blake, rhyming in a cipher in high school that I thought I could even be accepted, but then I just had to get really, really good really, really fast. And when I had to make the decision whether to go to college or be a rapper, and my mom said, "What do you mean you're going to rap gifts at Sears? Like, what do you, what, what do you mean rapper? You're going to rap gifts at Macy's? Like, what, you know, what is this rapper shit? Yeah. You know?" And I explained it to her like, it wasn't even about like being a white guy. In fact, I would do shows where I would play into that, like God get on stage. And my DJ, Grand Wizard Tony D, who is a Caribbean DJ from Brooklyn, black guy, i say, yo, the crowd's looking at me funny in my first show. Yeah. And Tony'd be like, yo, of course they're looking at you funny. I'm like, what do you mean of course? What do you mean that for? He goes, because you're white. I was like, get the fuck out of here. Who's white? I was like, if any of y'all see a white boy on stage, somebody say white, motherfucker. You never heard black people. Yet, kids, kids. T- white i mean they screamed white motherfucker like they were trying to get the police in the building uh-huh,
1: uh-huh, uh-huh. like an
2: alien was on stage right
1: white motherfucker.
2: i was like hold up, hold up." if you see a white boy and say somebody say white motherfucker <laughs> ah! screaming i was like yo let's show him i'm not white and he'd throw on a beat i start dancing girls would go crazy yeah because my moves on point and then i'd start rhyming and it was a rap. Is it is so if you could prove yourself and I had to prove myself. There was no there was no getting around proving yourself. Yeah. Prove myself, prove myself, prove myself, prove myself. In every stage, every venue, every cipher, every battle, everywhere I went, I had to prove myself.
1: It seems like breakdancing and the dancing has kind of fallen off in in within the actual performances and the videos of i mean do you, do you, is that true like back in the day like mcs would be dancing they'd be break dancing you were you were dancing certainly and, and there, there would be backup dancers on stage is that is that gone now or or am i just not not paying attention
2: no i don't think it's gone so it's funny we had crazy legs on the show um and he was talking about that uh you know certain people feel that way yet he just judged a break dance competition where it was an arena of 15,000 kids watching breakdancers. Yeah. Who all paid to get in, by the way. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, so, no, <laughs> it is not falling off. And every video that has a female in it, you see some girls dancing. Right. You know, they might not be dancing the way you and I used to remember dancing, but, you know, a lot of these men and women are still dancing. It might not be breakdancing or breaking.
1: But they're dancing. I guess I'm more talking about, like, you know, there'd be an MC rapping, and then behind him, he'd have two guys doing synchronized, like, moves the whole time. Like, and it was kind of like part of the crew, but, you know, it was, you don't see that as much anymore, right? Or am I wrong? I don't know.
2: I don't think there are any more, so... I understand what you're saying. Like for me
1: and and like matching jackets. Days, what what happened to everybody having matching jackets? <laughs> you know, like I miss that. I miss everybody right. having like the whole crew has jackets <laughs> that a match. Jackets. <laughs> Why don't they do that anymore?
2: So <laughs> I, I think that they have leotards now. Yeah, I think leotards. Yeah, I think they have you know booty shorts. Yeah, now. but um, I th- I I do believe there's still I still think that there's some of that around. Uh-huh. Um, I just think that it's few and far between because there's really not a lot of people touring right now, so you don't see it as much.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, now on your podcast, you're having on Legends of... You had Chuck D on recently, right? I had, uh, Actually, it was an amazing...
2: It was part of a, another podcast that we're doing, even though they were on, the podcast called Line for Line, Yeah, where we connect two legendary artists, and they talk about their musical influences on each other. Yeah. Um, So we had Chuck D and DMC talking about how they influenced each other, which will be edited into its own episodic podcast called Line for Line.
1: How much do all the, you know, MCs in New York from, you know, past, present, you know, actually encounter each other? If it wasn't for your podcast, would would, would people see each other around or is it just kind of uh that's what's cool that's what i find i find i love about podcasting it gives you an excuse to call up people you respect and admire and talk to them like like we're doing right now you know it's, it's amazing to me just to be able to talk to you you know but i mean it's 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 is that's is is that fair to say that people just sort of uh kind of is there is there a community of of old school rappers where everyone's kind of hanging out and getting together and chatting or is it not really kind of like that
2: You know, I think there is, I think there is a, some sort of communal, I don't think it's being done on the podcast level, which is why it was so important for me to start the timeless podcast company, you know, and and do that so that we could properly tell our stories and give guys the opportunity, not only to tell them, but to really tell them in a way that is theatrical and gives it immersive sound design, which is big sounding theater, kind of scope and sound and, in, in telling the stories. Um, and I'm not really sure if it's being orchestrated in a way where, like you said, like, it's just not in front of people, you know, and I, I want it to be in front of people. I think it's too important to give these artists the opportunity to tell the, their stories in a way that is really monumental you know, that is almost our own version of Mount Rushmore, right? But to do it through podcasting and do it through streaming, but not it just be a flat audio experience, but really an immersive sound design experience where you almost feel the environment around the conversation being had.
1: Yeah. What 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 MC, what MC or artist would you like to interview the most that you haven't had a chance to interview yet? Rock him! Oh yeah, yeah.
2: Goes without saying, rock him.
1: Yeah, that have you? Have he you reached my out?
2: favorite rapper of all time?
1: Yeah, he was a pioneer himself, right? He kind of invented sort of the, he sort of changed the style up a bit, made it smooth and uh, and changed the rhythm of it. Of, of you know of,
2: when when I heard Kane talking about on his podcast, the you know we did this first season called the Did I Ever Tell You the One About podcast. And the first season of the Did I Ever Tell You the One About podcast is Did I Ever Tell You the One About Big Daddy Kane. He talks about when he first heard Kaz, Grandmaster Kaz from the Coal Crush rhyme independently he threw away every rhyme book he ever had. <laughs> like he was like oh, <laughs> everything I'm doing in my life is wrong. That's yeah, what Kane said when he heard Kaz rhyme.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Well that's what happened to me. When I heard Eric V for president and I heard you know, I came in the door. I said it before. I never let the mic magnetize me no more. But it's fighting me and fighting me and fighting me to rhyme. Can't hold it back. I'm looking for the line, taking off my coat, clearing my throat. The rhyme will be kicking until I hit my last note. And then he said, yo, scream I'm lazy. You must be crazy. Thought it was a donut. You tried to glaze me. <laughs> Every rhyme book got tossed in the trash. And I was like, okay, everything I'm doing in my life is wrong. Uh-huh. You know, um, and then he got even the next record. You know, check out my melody. I put seven MCs, put them in a the line. That's seven more brothers. Think they can rhyme. Well, it'll take seven more before I go for mine. That's 21 MCs, eight up at the same time. Easy does it, do it easy. That's how I'm doing. Like, oh, my God. Like, I'll never be able to rhyme like this. And then he wrote, and then Rakim wrote the, the most, to me, the most perfect rap record ever written, which is I Ain't No Joke.
1: Yeah. yeah. No
2: throwaway lines, just succinct, to the point. I ain't no joke. I used to let the mic smoke. Now I slam on it done. Make sure it's broke. When I'm gone, no one gets on. Because I won't let nobody mess up or press up the scene I set. I like to stand in the crowd and watch people wonder, damn, but think about it. Then you'll understand it's just an addict addicted to music. Maybe it's a habit. I've got to use it. Even if it's a jazz or the quiet storm, I hook a beat up, convert it into hip-hop form, write a rhyme and graffiti in every show you see me in. Deep concentration because I no know comedian. comedian. I was like,
0: <laughs>
2: I was like, I was like, you know what? I'm I'm like how how am I even supposed to put out records?
0: Yeah, yeah. When it's, there's
2: a when there's a human being that sounds like
0: this,
1: he was he's. I think he was the first rapper that kind of wasn't rapping loud like like screaming everything you know you sort of smoothed it out and and had that voice and he wasn't like everyone was always kind of and of course the rhythm of it all changed right he it wasn't just sort of a one two three four rhythm that was sort of a more of a jazz type of rhythm like almost like a saxophone yeah. playing you know who was changing up the the whole flow of it in a different way yeah
2: i mean and, and around that same time you know ramen with biz came out with Kane. You know, and and Kane had this growl. Like, he was like, you know, when he first came out before Raw, you know, he was like, you know, you know, he he was just like on that record. (laughs) You know, and Big Daddy, he goes, you know, and, and, and Biz introduced Kane. You know, I'm the Kane in the flesh. Of course I'm fresh. Oh, you thought I was rotten? I beg your pardon. For me getting paid and getting busy go together so a man of my ambiance? Never could I be weak. Well, I'm rather unique. I got style, flavor, grace, and plus a different technique that I can use, and nobody can manage. So, a brother like me, I do damage just yeah. for picking up the mic and go <laughs> solo. I cold turn a party, and, I, and oh, yo, I get physical, mystical, very artistical, giving party people something funny to listen to. Yeah. Oh my god!
0: <laughs> yeah, I
2: mean, yo, I mean, I, I mean, it was just like it was the it was the best time because there were all these originators of a flow, of a style, of, uh, you know, and then ETMD came out and kind of did a bit of an elaboration on that. And then there was another, even a smaller group called JVC Force who had a record called Strong Island. That was, you know, there was all this great music that was coming up during this time. And, you know, to be me, to be white, to be in the middle of all of this, to try to compete, you know it was you know it was it was really amazing because it was just I had to really have the most sharp blade in my toolbox
1: so where are people uh, able to listen to your new podcast?
2: Um, well, the search says podcast is on you know our YouTube channel uh, you can go to search says uh, the timeless podcast company will you know be presenting the You know, um, did I ever tell you the one about Big Daddy Kane uh, sometime early next year, uh, as well as Line for Line and the other uh, podcasts we're going to be distributing? And, um, you know, we're going to be continuing on with the Search Says podcast. We've got some great uh, interviews coming up and we're ending the year with a best of, you know, Wednesday is the day before New Year's Eve. So December 30th, we're going live with a best of show, just highlighting the best interviews of the year.
1: That's amazing. It's amazing. You're, I, I, I I predict that you are. There's my there's Charlie by the way. I predict that you hey, are. Hey Charlie. There Charlie. There's probably like a coyote circling the van right now or something. It's just it's just a pack of coyotes, Charlie. Don't worry. Um, I, I I I predict you are you are uh, set up to be the, you are going to be the Howard Stern of hip hop. I tell you, you're gonna have. And I can't wait to 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 listen to the new show and everybody out there who is. Uh, is a hip hop head who just loves uh history and hearing about the craft and and uh hearing about their favorite artists. I think you're going to have to be tuning in and checking it out. It's going to be amazing. You you were going to drop uh am I correct? You have a you have a Hanukkah song you're going to drop here uh, world premiere on my show. That? <laughs> yes. Well,
2: I didn't know, you know, I didn't know, but but yes. So, you know, one of the things that I've been doing because of you. And mm-hmm. this and this is truly because of you. Um, when you started playing me beats, I started to get inspired, and then you were kind enough to introduce me to your friend, Brockett Brockett yeah. Parsons, who has been on tour with Lady Gaga for almost 20 years now, who is an amazing, amazing musician, Yeah, I, but I had become friends with also Johnny Marr, the legendary guitarist from the Smith, um, and we were trying to figure out, you know, can we make music together, and yada, da yada, yada. And uh, and my friend Brett Epignaser, who produced "Poison" for Belva DeVoe and you know "Crazy Town" and "Butterfly," that hit song, and you know we all just kind of came together and we were like, you know what? There are just not any cool Hanukkah songs. Let's just make a cool Hanukkah song. Yeah. So we decided to make one, in, as part of our new group called the Co Defendants, uh, C.O.E. Culture Over Everything. So Co Defendants. me, Johnny Marr, Brockett the Rocket. Hopefully, Tom Green will be adding beats soon, but right now we got Brett Mazer doing that. But we wanted to do a song that wasn't really focused on the tradition of Judaism as much as what it means to shine bright. You know, to really be a tribe for all of us, to be members of a singular tribe for this next eight days, to reflect on what we have together as people and to enjoy the holiday together, to celebrate together. Uh, and more importantly, to shine bright together. So that's this
1: song, Shine Bright by the co-defendants. I can't think of a better way to, to cap off this amazing conversation. We'll, we'll drop that song now and search. I appreciate it. I appreciate your friendship. And, uh, and uh, it's uh, really cool to have you on the show today. I'll, I can't wait to, to uh, see you soon. And we'll get out there in the RVs and hit a steakhouse. <laughs> I love that. That yep. sounds like a plan. Love you, brother. Thank you. All right. Love you, Search. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks for listening to another episode of Van Life. And uh, very soon, I'm going to have cameras on this podcast, and you'll be able to watch it on my YouTube channel, at least portions of it. Uh, go to youtube.com slash my, uh my YouTube channel. And you can also see my van, see what I'm doing, see how I'm living out here on the road. Love you guys. See you next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for subscribing. You're the best. Peace.